Hi everyone, welcome to The Next Step with Pete Seligman. Um, today I'm going to be speaking to Kerry Pothurst, the bronze and gold medal beach volleyball player. Very exciting for me personally because I played a lot of beach volleyball um, when I was younger and actually when they won gold I was sitting on the sand um, as one of the volunteers helping with that event. So really exciting conversation for me and I'm going to drop us into the Zoom call that we had at the point when I asked her to describe exactly what it felt like on the morning of the day that she was competing for gold. I hope you enjoy it. How do you start a day knowing that during that day you're going to be competing for gold? Yeah, look, obviously, Pete, it was a long time ago. So when I think back to that day, I guess I remember things in bits, in little bits. Like I, I watched, obviously, I've got some video footage and, you know, I've got a, a news report from Channel 7 that night who kind of does a little bit of a grab of something Nat said, something I said afterwards. You know, I climbed up in the stands and saw my mum and my brother and sister and that morning, so we actually didn't stay in the village. We stayed in Randwick in a like a Catholic nunnery for three oh, wow. weeks. Yeah, so there wasn't there wasn't enough room in the village for all the athletes. So any sports that had a sport that was a fair distance away from Homebush, they tried to put us closer to where we were. Yeah. So we stayed in Randwick in this beautiful old building, and we were in there for three weeks. You know, the couple of weeks leading up, and obviously the week of the games or the week that we competed. And then straight after we finished, we moved into the village to kind of be with everybody else, yeah. And at first we were really disappointed that that's what they were gonna do with us. But in the end, it actually, I think it was a blessing because we had the opportunity to go into the village quite a bit, you know, in the lead up and before the game started. But we were then kind of on our own and we bedroom and we had all those motivational sayings and different things hung up, hung up in our room. So we really had a beautiful environment to kind of get inspired. But what happened was they didn't really, I don't think the Olympic Committee thought that we were going to make the finals because the road race, the cyclists, and the cyclists stayed, some of the cyclists were with us in this like nunnery, that's what I call it. And the road race was around the finals time. So all the roads were blocked off where we were on that day. So what they decided to do two days before the gold medal match was actually move us into the Swiss Grand Hotel, which is right on the beach there at Bondi. And the first thing Natalie and I thought was, oh, my God, like our whole routine and our whole like, environment is going to be completely destroyed. You know, we had everything set out. I had the national anthem on the back of the toilet door because literally it was like the last thing. I'm like, oh, my gosh, we're going to know the words, you know, because <laughs> in Atlanta when we were, we were going for, you know, a medal, that was our goal for Atlanta, I didn't know the words because I grew up in the God Save the Queen days. So I really actually didn't know the words to the full, you know, verses. So I thought, right, and every morning I'd wake up in the morning and I'd sit on the toilet and Natalie would still be half asleep in her bed and I'd be belting out the national anthem. So anyway, we were panicked for a split second because we were very well versed by this stage to kind of roll with the punches and make the most out of everything that happened. And so we went to training a day or two before the final and while we were gone, our coaches, we didn't know they were doing this, but they moved all the stuff into the Swiss Grand. We knew we had to move that afternoon. 
they took all our things that we had hung on the wall and all the things that we'd brought with us. Like we collected gold stuff. That's a whole nother story. So they brought all that over and they decorated the room for us yeah. that we had in the hotel. So then when we went back and got our stuff and moved in there, you know, we walked in and it, it wasn't like what we had back was, at the yeah. other place, well, but it was close enough. <laughs> hey? You probably had a better view. Yeah, I, I don't even remember if we even had a view. I'm sure there's rooms that didn't have views. But, but all I know is it was a last-minute change. So we woke up that morning in the Swiss Grand Hotel across the road from the volleyball. And, yeah, it was, it was almost surreal because being in a different place all of a sudden where we'd been so used to the whole process leading up to that match, it could have really, like, screwed us up. Mm. But like I said, we were so well trained by then to actually just make the most and find the positive in everything. Yeah. So yeah. we just rolled with it and our coaches helped us deal with it. And so, yeah, we, we just walked across the road and did our normal preparation. And I think I went to the toilet about 17 times in the last <laughs> half an hour yeah. leading into that, that match. I mean, you know, obviously we were nervous, but we were really excited and, by that stage, we'd got used to the crowd, which was incredible and so loud. And you can imagine, you know, a volleyball court. It was massive. It was amazing. It was massive. And, and the volleyball court's only, back then, it was nine metres by nine metres wide and then 18 metres long with that net in the middle. And then you've got a few metres on either side all around. And then that's when the crowd starts. So you're not that far away from people. You can throw them the ball, literally. And so, and then we had your desk there. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so the crowd was just like pumping and that was something that almost derailed us in the beginning as well. Mm. I remember, do you think that maybe your agility around that move of hotel was a little bit because of your experience being a beach volleyballer? I, I remember Julian Prosser telling me a story once where he had to wake, he had to sleep on the beach somewhere <laughs> in Europe. I don't know whether that was his fault or the problem of the organisers, but then wake up and then compete in a final. Like, it seems to have quite a, quite a kind of fluid approach to accommodation. Oh, yeah, it's probably because he didn't have any money. might have been it. Yeah. Look, the it beach volleyball is yeah, the beach volleyball's lifestyle is pretty, you know, you're in a different country. It's pretty full on, in different mm -hmm. country every week. It's back-to-back -back tournaments. I guess it's similar to a tennis tour, you know, the more tournaments you can play, the more points you can accumulate and the higher up your ranking is. And obviously when your ranking is higher, you get better seeding and so there's more opportunities. So you try and play as many events as you can. And I guess that was, you know, it was something we were used to. I think it was more like... It was the environment that we created that we thought we were going to, to have for the whole duration of the event. So I, I actually, it's not just that. I just think it was that whole mental aspect that our coaches and our, our success coach, so we had a success coach, he just taught us to like not make a story around things, you yeah. know, and to find, to find the positive and find a way to actually make it better. And that was part of our plan. How, how can we make it better was something that we said to ourselves all the time. So how can we make this better? Yeah. Nothing we yeah. can do about it. Well, one of the things that I speak a fair bit about actually with, with Mick, who's here, is the concept of mentors. 
and it, the idea that kind of a hero on a team needs a mentor. How important have coaches and mentors been in, in, in your life overall, but also in particular in, in, your, in your career as a beach volleyball player? Well, obviously, as a sports person, coaching is like, you know, crucial. You have to have a coach. I mean, some people go on the world tour in our sport in beach volleyball without a coach initially because they don't have the money because it's very expensive. You have to pay them to travel and it's a kind of an independent yet funded by a federation sport. It's kind of lies somewhere in between there. And so you, you can't succeed, number one, without a coach. Looking back on my indoor career, which was 10 years with the indoor national team, and then I went into beach volleyball and played another 10 years, and that's where I played my three Olympics. My mentors were my coaches. I was lucky enough to have a, like really amazing coaches in both indoor and beach who shaped me as a person and not just as a volleyball player. Um, so they taught me things, you know, translated into life and that I've, you know, skills that I have now. Um, but when we, after we won a bronze medal, we had an amazing, we had the whole, whole way through an amazing volleyball coach. He was Canadian, uh, sorry, American. He's in Canada now with the Canadian national beach players. And of course their program is now one of the top programs in the world, but he was in Australia with us. We went and actually brought him back from the States and he was our volleyball coach, Steve Anderson. After winning a bronze with Steve, we realised we needed a bigger team. We needed to kind of fill the gaps of things that we didn't even know what was missing. And this is the thing. like We couldn't sort of identify something and go, right, we need that and then go find someone. We were just like, we need more. Like if, we can, if we're going to win in Sydney in front of a home crowd against the best nations in the world, Brazil at the time was just dominating everything. America, if they weren't winning, they were coming second. And we were third. And so we had many silver and bronze medals along the way, but we'd never won a gold medal on the world tour. So going into Sydney, we ranked third in the world. And so we knew that we couldn't catch up with the Brazilians and Americans with training hours. We just couldn't train twice as many hours as they could on the sand. We were more injured. We were older, all those sorts of things. So the only thing we could do more of was work on our mindset. Mm. So Natalie actually found this guy who was our success coach. His name is Kira Cashley. And she found him. She just went to a seminar. She was searching for something. Again, she didn't really know what it was. She was into trying to, you know, develop herself. And she's 10 years younger than me. So that's pretty amazing. She found him, not me. <laughs> and uh, she went to a seminar and was sitting in the front row. And he really impressed her. And, you know, he said at the seminar, no one remembers who comes second or third. Yeah. And it was not long after we'd won our bronze medal in Atlanta. Yeah, so that kind of... <laughs> what? <laughs> but afterwards, he, he also said something about, like, if you need some help, if you want a mentor, you just got to ask people. I mean, the worst they can do is say, no, I don't have time or whatever. And, you know, you find someone. But most successful people want to help other successful people. So, or other people to become successful. So she asked him at the end of the seminar if he'd work with her. We had no money or she, was, she had no money to pay him at the time. Um, and he said yes, because he was just kind of starting off his career. Another American, he'd come over. He's actually a retired Hollywood actor. Um, and he got into, he was working with Tony Robbins for a while and he got into doing the fire walking. And then he brought that, that whole thing to Australia and he was just starting off in Australia. So good timing for her to ask him. He said yes. And then she said, I, then because we had a short time apart between our two medals just because you know things were just getting too stressful <laughs> and so then when we got back together as a team 
she said, oh, I'm working with this guy. And I'm like, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I was kind of not sceptical, but just like a little bit like, I don't need that, you know, or I'll just go along with it to please her. And he was just the, he was the final piece of the puzzle. Like I was so wrong. He was just such, he just made me understand that there's so much more to being successful than the physical side of our game or the strategy or the fitness. It was just so mindset for us and creating that pure and utter belief that we could win in that day on that day, no matter what happened, no matter whether we had to change hotels or whether they told us we couldn't wear our favorite hat or, you know, whatever it was, it didn't matter. Mm. So he just instilled that over the next 18 months we had with him leading into Sydney to the point where we just really knew we were going to win, even though we were behind in both sets by four points, mm. which, which was massive. And we just kept on doing the do, doing the do, doing the do. And um, eventually the, the number one team in the world, the Brazilians just kind of went, when are they going to stop and just let us win like most teams do? Yeah. You know, you can push a good team, push, 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 and stay with them. And then eventually the belief of the, the lower ranked team will go, oh, I can't win. And then the better team will win. You know, so, but we just had that belief and we just took them all the way and then beat them by, as you know, two yeah. points and one point was so close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the crowd went nuts. How long did it take you to, you said at the beginning with that mindset coach, it took you a while to kind of actually realise the value that he could bring. How long did that take and what do you think? Was there a particular aha type moment or anything in particular where you went, you know, there is value here, I'm going to do it. Yeah, well, I'd seen him working with Natalie and the girl she was playing with in our this short break that we had, and they were doing crazy things like quacking like ducks and barking like dogs, and it was all about stepping out of your comfort zone, and this is like in a warm-up for a match, and I'm like, what are they doing? So I had this vision of this guy being a little bit crazy. He never did that with us, by the way. I think he realised that maybe I wasn't the type of person to try and do that with. But at the time, both Natalie and her partner, younger, they just needed to kind of step up and go, don't worry about what other people think, you know, be a little bit out there, be a little bit crazy. But it wasn't until we did a firewalk. That was probably my kind of moment where it was so emotional. And we actually did two lanes of fire and Natalie and I did it holding hands. So it was like really bonding us as a team over something that, you know, that you look at and think is impossible, but you have the courage to do it together yeah, it was really powerful. Um, yeah. It was actually it was actually recorded by like a current affair or something, and we asked the the host of the program to do it with us, and the host didn't want to do it. They were all too scared to do it, yeah. and so for me, it was like, oh my god, they're too scared, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then you know, at the end of it, I just felt this like big like whoa, like we are so powerful as a team. We both just did something that most people wouldn't even have the guts to do. We can do anything. Felt really invincible and. So that was probably the moment. And then the other moment was when we went away as a team. So by that time, we had a conditioning or a fitness coach. We had a volleyball coach and we had our success coach. So the five of us went away. We did a team building uh, weekend where we did some fun things, but we also sat down and and worked out what was our plan. Because you've got to have a plan. You know, you've got to know what you're doing. You've got to know where you're going. You've got to know what it is that you want and then, you know, work backwards, forwards, however, plan out how you're going to get there. And that plan wasn't kind of dated with results of tournaments, which is what most athletes would kind of plan out. 
it was a plan about how can we become a gold medalist now, 18 months before we'd win a gold medal. So we ended up calling it gold medal excellence, which basically just meant that we were going to live our lives as if we were already gold medalists 18 months before we could win the medal. And so what that meant was we lived like gold medalists. We acted like, we trained like, we ate like. We just embodied the type of person, you know, a gold medalist would be. But we didn't just look at gold medalists. We also looked at successful business people as well and said, who are these people? What, what are they doing? What are their characteristics? So we started off with our purpose, our why. Why do we want this? And so we got a real good understanding of why each other wanted it, why our team, the five of us, wanted it. And we put it all together under a heading of our purpose. And then we had our, we put it under the heading of our code of conduct. What are the things that we, how do we want to, con, you know, conduct our, our lives? And they weren't things like, you know, go to bed at 11 to get eight hours sleep or whatever. It was things about our relationship because when you've got, two people in a team and you don't have substitutes, you've got to work things out. So it's about our relationships with ourselves, each other and our team and the greater environment and a few other bits and pieces about just making sure that, you know, we never give up and all these sorts of things. So we came up with a real like list of things that this is how we're going to conduct ourselves like a gold medalist would in the next 18 months. Then we had, we called it our winning way. And that was what we had to do from a volleyball point of view to beat every team in the world. So our goal, we had two goals. One was to win a tournament before the Olympics and one was to beat every team in the world at least once. And there was only one team we hadn't beaten yet and that was the Brazilian team that we played in the final. But we beat them once, three times before the Olympics, uh, three months before the Olympics, but we only beat them once in about 17 matches leading into the Games. And the other goal of winning an event never happened. So we actually didn't tick that off before going into the games, but we still believe we could do it, right? And then that was, so that was our winning way. And then the last component was, we called that our, uh, what did we call that? I can't remember what we called that, but that was, <laughs> it'll come back to me in a sec. That was who we had to be. That were the character, they were the characteristics of who we had, the characteristics that we wanted to embody as people. Mm. to go in. So there, there were four main sections. We put them, our coach cleverly made them into Olympic rings. Yeah. So obviously there's nice. five rings. So there's three at the top, two at the bottom. Yeah. And then the, uh, the one in the middle, because there are only four, right, four components, the one in the middle was, was what I said before, was our slogan, everything that we kind of lived by, and that was how can we make it better. And yeah. then we signed this document. It was colourful. The rings obviously had the colour of the rings and we put our team name on there. We laminated it and we lived it. That was it. Gold medal excellence. And we lived that for 18 months and, and beyond because it was embedded into who we are yeah, now. Were, I really like the way you described when you were starting to say, and then we went away and we made a plan, immediately my mind, like I'm an engineer, project manager, businessman, that kind of thing, immediately my mind went to, oh, okay, this would be really interesting. It would be like 90-day plans and kind of annual business plan type concepts. I like how then you said it wasn't a plan of what we were going to be, what we were going to do. It was a plan about who we needed to be to get there. Um, which I think is so resonates so well with business as well because quite often people put a plan together about the things that they need to do, but they don't think about who they need to be, either as an individual or as a team. And I think probably that gets lost a fair bit. In other areas yeah, yeah we, call, 
I just remembered the last one. It was called Standard of Champions. So what standard did we have to kind of live into to become yeah. a champion, be a champion? Not to become. We weren't looking forward. We're actually... We are this there. This is who we now. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing you mentioned was the fire walking thing. So I've got a business partner. Six years ago, we set out on our, our current plan that we're now, I guess, in the process of delivering. And I remember at the time thinking I would never jump off this cliff by myself, you know, from a corporate career kind of with stability and all those kinds of things. There's no way I'm going to do this alone. But effectively, we kind of metaphorically held hands and jumped off the cliff. And it's really interesting how the, the parallels between being in a team sport like that and being so well connected with the person that you're that you're on that journey with makes such an impact. Yeah, and I mean, I said before we're ten years different in age, but I think yeah, and very different people mm. in in a number of ways. But we both had similar kind of like we're both driven, we're both competitive, those sorts of things, which are good for sport and 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 business. But the thing that kept us together through everything that happened, and gosh, we had some pretty crazy things, crazy moments and times when I thought, my God, I'm going to kill her or she's like, I'm going to kill Kerry. But what, what one thing that just kept us going was we had a shared vision and that's it. You've got to have that shared vision and pulling people and team members into that vision. You don't have to pull the whole world in, but our five of us and then our immediate families, they were all part of our vision. And then, you know, a lesser knowledge of, of our vision was perhaps our sport and our federation which is probably why they did not have faith that we could win they had no plans after the olympics for a gold medal they didn't yeah. think we were going to win isn't that amazing um, yeah yeah i mean if you ask them they'll, they'll probably say oh yeah 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 we we knew you had a chance but you know they would never have said yeah with a hundred percent certainty which is what we all had yeah. that we were going to win. And it's funny because I was talking with somebody last night about, oh, I'm working with gold medalists at the moment to help the next crop of athletes. We we're in Canberra and we were with the, it's called the Gold Medal Ready Program. And together with Army Commandos, we're helping all sports and the athletes come through and, and teaching them how to perform under pressure. And one of, we talked yesterday, yesterday about how expectations can really derail you, your own expectations or those of your friends or family. And I remember my, <laughs> I'd ring my mum sometimes when we'd be on tour overseas and I'd ring her and say, hi, you know, I should go, hey, how did you go? Oh, we came second, which is amazing, right? Second in the world at a world event. And she'd just go, because she just, like, she just believed in us so much. She goes, what happened? You know, <laughs> yeah, well, like she didn't even have to say, why didn't you win? She just said, what happened? <laughs> so, but it was in a way that wasn't like a demanding expectation. Yeah. It was just a, a certainty and belief. And so she instilled and my parents instilled into me that I, I had that. I had it within me. Like, of course I can win. Of course yeah. I'm good enough to do whatever I choose to do. Do you think there was anything from, like, if you were to look at yourself as a child, would you would there be indicators there that said, you know what, yeah, there's a gold medal in there somewhere? Like, are there things that you can remember that, do you know what I mean, that kind of says, you know what, that there's a pathway that you can see from that point yeah. on? Or is there? Well, it's funny. My earliest memory of being competitive was at a birthday party. My birthday party was probably about, I don't know, 10. And we were playing pin the tail on the donkey and I lost and I started crying. Like, <laughs> that's kind of a bit of a competitive insight. Now... <laughs> 
to learn to look like be a good loser. I was a bad loser for a long time. Like I would stew on losing. I would blame people. You know, I've had to really work on, you know, becoming a good loser and, and, you know, learning to take the lesson out and not dwelling on it for a week, you know, and not kind of getting mad at everybody around me. But yeah, I see that in my son now. He's a good loser. But I have to beat him when I'm playing like little things like table tennis and that yeah. because I, you know, I don't want to give him a big head, Laura. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I, I, I read a quote the other day. Actually, it's this, it's like a list of a hundred lessons for. It, it's actually written for um, fathers of sons, and it says a hundred lessons you need to teach your son. And it's lots of really funny stuff in there. But one is it says always make sure you make sure you play against your mum because she won't let you win. Um, and, and it's actually really typical of, of my wife because she doesn't lose. Like, she, regardless, like, she just won't let them that's win. That's hilarious. Yeah. Well, that's hilarious because my husband is so much better at, let, let's say, table tennis than both myself and Tyson, but he will let Tyson win, right? And I, from a very young age, I was like, no, yeah. he's got to learn how to lose, man. He's... Because he's very, and he has, I can see it in him. My son believes he can do anything. He's like, of course I can win. Of course I can beat you. You know, not in a, again, not in a cocky way, but he just has a a certainty. Yeah. Yeah, why not? And that's, I think, you know, sometimes I see other kids who have no confidence in things like that. And I just wonder if it's, you know, just generation or generation of families that just, I don't know. They don't believe in themselves for some reason, maybe because their parents maybe didn't instill that in them, Mm. you know? So, and I don't mind if my son never plays sport at a high level, as Mm. long as he, you know, believes in what he loves to do. Yeah. Finds his thing and he's happy with that. I, I, um, it was interesting. I was, as I said, I was speaking to, to Michael Lane, who's spent a fair bit of time with a whole range of people, obviously. And he was talking about Richard Branson, who's coming out later this year. And he was, Telling me a story about how it might have been 10 years ago now, he was backstage with Richard Branson before he was about to go onto stage to talk. And he got really nervous, like Richard Branson got really nervous about going on stage and said, Oh, look, I, I need I need a drink or something. Like I need I need something to help me get over these nerves. And it was interesting because you were saying just before you went on for that gold medal match, like you were really nervous. And I think it's a really important thing for people to understand is that you can be nervous and successful just because you're nervous about something. It doesn't mean you're not going to be successful or it doesn't mean you shouldn't do yeah. it because nerves are just part of that journey towards success. Like what's you've been your experience with nerves and courage and, and that? Yeah, great question because this is what I was just, this is what I'm doing with the gold medal ready program. So we're working together with psychologists as well. And, and like I said, the army commandos, around all this stuff like why is it what what we're wanting the the athletes to see that yeah we all feel the same we're all just like you but it's what we choose to do to keep going through to keep going towards that uncomfortable state it's it's the courage to keep going and you know turning and and understanding the physiological responses that our body has when we start to feel a little bit stressed. So that stress could come on because, you know, you're just about to walk into a meeting where you have to present or you're just about to sign a contract and you're not sure whether they're going to offer you what you want or whether you have to negotiate. Or, you know, as a sports person, you're just about to go into the first match of the Olympics. That's often the most nervous match. 
So whenever the, our system, we're designed physiologically to things happen to our bodies. You know, if you think 250,000 years ago when, you know, you have to kill a bear or kill a lion or something to eat, as you start to get nervous, as that bear's coming towards you, things happen like your heart races faster to send blood to your muscles so you can really fight with that, that lion or that bear, you know, and, or to run away if you're in danger. So all these things that happen physiologically, they're still designed to happen in our body. So it's actually okay. So just speaking with the athletes and, and they say, oh, yeah, my, I used to think that when I started to sweat or when I started to, my heart started to race or my mouth went dry or whatever, I thought that was nerves, but actually what it is, it's your body getting yourself ready to compete. So when you flip that around in your head and go, oh, I'm starting to feel these things, the butterflies in the stomach, the shaky legs, even going to the toilet, that's your body getting you ready to expel the things that you don't need in your body so you can go and either fight the bear or run away. Like it's getting your body ready to compete or ready to do whatever it is. It's a system that we have. It's the Paris, I'm just learning the wording around it now, but the parasympathetic and the sympathetic systems that we have in our bodies, our nervous system, which is just trained from 250,000 years ago. So if you understand that these things just happen, that it's actually a good thing, then, then it's actually okay. And everybody experiences different things. Some people's hands will sweat, others won't. Some people will sweat, you know, and start to go, oh, you know, other people shake, you know, dry mouth, whatever it is. And then once you're in the fight, in the battle, in the match or whatever, it kind of all seems to go away. Yeah, yeah. Because absolutely. then your body is, yeah, and then because your body is just doing what it's meant to do. Yeah. But that kind of pre-thing is, is just all part of the way we, and we all have that same system. And yeah. something that I learned, and so I tested this, this would be really interesting for people who speak, right? So we learned from the army commandos that there's a vagus nerve that runs through your, your nervous system. And it's like a reset. So if they're just about to jump out of a helicopter into a war zone, or they're about to take a town or whatever, I'm talking serious, Real you stuff. know, life-threatening situations to reset their vagus nerve which kind of just brings your body back to a reset you give yourself three thumps in the chest it's just like boom 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 okay and i've just learned this recently and so and they've been teaching this to some of the athletes so on just on the last weekend i had to speak at 6 p.m with natalie it was the first it was only the second time in our whole life that we've actually done a keynote presentation together we both speak separately all the time like i do about 20 to 30 presentations a year and we were there at 7 30 a.m and we weren't speaking until 6 p.m we were closing the day so we had to bring the energy tie everything up bring things that we would heard throughout the day into our presentation to really make it finish the day off well and halfway through the day, I'm starting to just tune out from the other presentations. There were like 15 speakers or something. Tune out. And then I was just getting a little bit in my own head about what I was going to say and the opening because the opening was really important. I was doing that part. And I thought, oh, I'm going to try this Vegas nerve thing. So I just went to the bathroom and in, in the toilet because I didn't want to do it in front of the other people. I just went boom, boom, boom. And I went, took a couple of deep breaths because breathing obviously is a really important part of resetting yourself as well when you you start to kind of get a little bit stressed 
And I did that two times and then I did it just before we went up on stage. And I must say, I think it really just brought me back. It's like a mindfulness thing as well. Brings you back to the moment instead of your mind drifting off. So three thumps, middle of the chest, vagus nerve. You can look it up. Um, Try that. And definitely breathing as well, which a lot of athletes use now, but still as you know, corporates, business people, we don't recognise the value of breathing. Well, even if it doesn't matter if it's a physical endeavour or a mental endeavour, I guess you can still get nervous, right? And the same kind of psychosomatic impact can, can occur. I, I remember, I can't remember, it might have been Simon Sinek or someone like that um, saying, if it feels like you're nervous or scared, it's actually the same feeling as when you're excited. So if you yeah. feel like you're nervous, just instead yeah. tell yourself that you're um that you're excited instead and then yeah that'll, that'll get you on the right well, that's mind. it and yeah. and that's the system that we've carried on from two hundred and fifty thousand years we all have exactly the same system our body reacts to exactly whether you're excited or you're nervous or you're stressed yeah yeah no it's fantastic so just to to wrap up it's been a fantastic conversation thank you so much for your time what is one really good piece of advice that you've received in any kind of forum that you've had over the years. And I know there'll be lots. So what's my next? <laughs> what's, what's a piece of advice that you can remember? That's not fair. Um, <laughs> I think one, one thing that always keeps me going and moving forward and, you know, I, I don't stand still for long. If things are going well, I'm always looking forward. Like, what can I do next? But so I always come, come back to the middle ring of that, plan that gold medal excellence plan and and how can we make it better or how can i make it better you know rather than focusing on what's happened how can i make it better as obviously if there's things that happen in your life whether they're family deaths or you've just gone bankrupt or whatever it is we have to spend time grieving but the sooner we can you know really start to focus on or oh, how can i make this better how can i move forward I think that's the best thing that I've learned through my volleyball career because as a volleyballer or any sport where you're playing point after point, you lose so many points and you lose so many matches. So if we were to stay too long in that feeling of grief for whatever the situation is, it's just going to take you longer to move forward. So the sooner we can start to kind of say, well, how can I make this better? I think the more successful you can become quicker and enjoy and just be happy and just be positive. And, you know, we all know that you know, we'd much rather be in that positive frame of mind than, than not. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time, Kerry. I really love the conversation. And I can see that there's a whole bunch of parallels between what you've experienced and what you've learned from that and, and what a lot of the people in my network can take into kind of particularly their business lives as well. So thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. Cheers. And have fun with your next podcast. I hope it goes well. Yeah, thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Okay, see ya. See ya.